Yeah, Nikki was sharing with me that they were hoping to have four packages to send to Guatemala, and we have 15. And uh, so that's really pretty awesome. And keep uh, Pastor Frank Jr. in prayer. He would have arrived in Guatemala our time about 11 o'clock last evening. And what an opportunity for him to be ministering to uh, children in a third world country. And so it's not only a, a, a chance for them to learn about dirt bikes, but it's a greater chance for them to learn about the Lord. So keep Pastor Frank and that whole team in prayer through these next 10 days that he'll come back with a report of many souls saved. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your love, the love that you so freely bestowed upon us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that being born again in the Spirit would not only just be some kind of personal security of our own, but it would really be an empowering and a desire to share our faith and truth with all those around us. I ask, Father, that as we break open your word this morning, that you would break, an o- break open our hearts to receive it in all of its truth. And now, Father, I pray for your anointing and your blessing to be able to minister to these, your precious people. And I ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 12. You know, um, one of the things that we have to understand, Scripture tells us about it itself. Everything that was written in the past was written for our learning. But what that is really telling us is everything that was written in the Word of God was for you and I personally. Everything that we read in the Word of God is to instruct us and to encourage us how to live in this life. Because here's the reality. We talked about this a little bit in the first service. Our bodies, our physical you know, identity is temporary. Yesterday, I looked in the mirror and I was 16. Today, I looked in the mirror and I thought it was Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, what happened? Time just flies. And when you're young, you don't think it ever does. I can't wait till I'm 16. You know, I can't. Time, um, you know, flies. But the reality is that there is something within our cardia, our heart, our inner man, that is eternal. And that is our soul and spirit. And that never changes. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm still that young man in my heart and soul. And so the Bible gives us instructions in how to live in this life. Because this life, if we're all honest with ourselves, can be very, very difficult. And sometimes it's more difficult for others than it is possibly for us. And there are are other times that it's more difficult for us than maybe it is for others. So we have to realize the importance of studying his word as being a guide. It truly is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. It's the only thing that will give us the direction that we need in order to have any fulfillment. Because the reality is that life will do everything it can to knock the pins out from under you. Because who is the prince in the power of the air of this life? Who is it? Satan. And let me tell you something. He hates you. He hates you, especially those of us who belong to Jesus. But the reality is, because we belong to Jesus, because we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, he has no power, he has no authority over us. We belong to Jesus. And I think that's important because when we look at this portion in Exodus, it's easy to get distracted or get discouraged about what's going on and what's not going on and why is that happening. But understand that it's a lesson, it's a teaching for you and I. 
So, in this portion, we're going to be looking at the tragic result of a stubborn heart. <laughs> it's like going through a maze, brother, trying to catch, you know, where is he? <clears throat> There's nothing that will um, do more damage to ourselves and to others than a stubborn heart. And we're going to find in this portion that Pharaoh had a very stubborn heart. He knew almost from, from the beginning what the truth was. Maybe not at the very beginning, but very quickly he knew what the truth was. And yet he refused to give in to the truth. And what was the tragic result? His people went through more devastation than we can even imagine. We'll look at it in a little bit. We don't even understand personally how much our stubbornness might affect others. Because here's the thing. Here's where we really have a problem, all of us. I am right. You get my point? Because you have the same attitude. I am right. And because of that, sometimes we uh, are unable to do what we could to minister to other people because in reality it might be, I am wrong. You know, Vi and I have talked about this. We look back when we're first saved, and we look at each other and we go, you remember how it was when you were first saved? You know, you'd go up to your friends and your neighbors and say, guess what? You're going to hell. (laughs) You better get saved now, you know, or your legs are going to fall off or something like that. And and you just have such a, a harsh attitude. And then in time, you learn that the gospel is spread through love. It's spread through kindness. It's spread through meekness, not self-centeredness, not, you know, fear. And that's what this portion of Scripture is teaching us. We need to let go of our self-centeredness and allow God to have his way. And he'll do wonderful things, wonderful things. So we're in Exodus 12, picking up with verse 29. Exodus 12, picking up with verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead." Now, one of the things I want to mention here, because uh, from watching the Ten Commandments and from, you know, maybe some of our own uh, thoughts and so forth, it never says firstborn son. There's, uh, I think, one translation of the Bible that says firstborn son. But if you look at it in, in your Greek Hebrew lexicon, you'll see it's one of those inserted words. There's no place that says firstborn son. It just says the firstborn. So the firstborn in every household could have been a boy, could have been a girl. You follow what I'm saying? And that's why it's so important for us to read Scripture and just read what it says and not add our own, you know, thoughts and, uh, you know, to it. And one of the things as I was reading this portion of Scripture that I was thinking to myself, why, why does it say at midnight? Now, for you and I, the new day begins at midnight, right? But not so for the, for the Israelites. The new day begins at sunset. So if the new day begins at sunset, why did this take place at midnight? It's because it's the darkest hour of the night. And sometimes it's in the darkest hour of the night that people experience their greatest devastation or their greatest victory. Oftentimes those 
who come to the Lord come to him at the darkest hour. They're, they're, they're just overwhelmed with the burden of life and maybe with their own heart. And they just cry out to God, God, please help me. And he hears our cry. And he does help us, and he does forgive us, and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we have the assurance of eternal life. And he gives us the strength to live even through the greatest difficulties. And that's so important for us to understand. Because sometimes, even now, as believers, the darkest hour can be one of our greatest times of learning. You know, when everything's going great, it's easy just to cruise along, isn't it? But sometimes when things become very difficult... It just really takes you back to the Lord, takes you back to his word, takes you back to prayer, takes you to a place of humbling yourself before him. You know, one of the things that I have encouraged people to do, but you have to be prayed up before you read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Just during the Inquisition alone, there were 36 million Christians who were put to death for their faith. But Fox's Book of Martyrs is not only during the Inquisition, it goes back before that when Christians were being slain for their faith. And if you read that book, it it blows your mind to think of what these men and women went through for their faith. They not only died, they died horrible deaths. And so you and I look at that, and we read Fox's book of Martyrs, Martyrs, and we look at uh, their faithfulness in, in the darkest hours, and we say, I could never do that. Have you ever read anything about, maybe you, maybe you haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs, but you've read about other believers and what they went through, through for their faith, and you think, oh, I couldn't do that. Well, the reality is, either could they. We couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. We have to understand it is all the Lord working in and through us by his Holy Spirit that these things are able to be accomplished. That's why I love what it tells us in Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Excuse me. Acts chapter 1. Go to verse 8. And this is a, a portion of Scripture that many of us love. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And listen to this. And to the end of the earth. Now, we read in English and oftentimes we miss the full meaning of the word. It says you shall receive power. The Greek word there is dunamis. It literally means the ability to do. The ability to do what? Whatever the Lord wants you to do. And so when you're born again in the Spirit and you receive the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able to do whatever he wants you to do, even if it is to suffer and die for your faith. But sometimes we have to understand it's more difficult to live for our faith. Because, I mean, I'm not wishing to suffer and die, believe me. It's not my thing. (laughs) Uh, But the reality is when I die, I'm with the Lord. But to live for our faith through difficult circumstances. And, and just think of the way our world is. I mean, you can, you can mock anything about Christianity, right? But you, ne- you, you better not say a negative thing about any other religion. You know, the only time you can use the Lord's name is if it's a cuss word. If I'm substituting in, in, in the high school and I 
say, Jesus Christ, I'm going to hear about it. But if I'm a teacher in a high school and bang my thumb and say, Jesus Christ, nobody pays attention to it at all. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is the only name that is used as a cuss word? I mean, someone doesn't bang your thumb and say, oh, ah, Buddha, you know. They don't do that. It's always the name of Jesus Christ. But understand, there's a reason for it. Because that's what Satan wants to do, to diminish the value of his name. In his name alone are we saved and we're born again. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he is Lord. He's Lord of, of the universe. He's the creator of all things, but he's Lord of our heart and he's Lord of our lives. You know, a lot of people wonder why there was such a push to put evolution in the high schools, in, in the public schools. And any of you who are old enough, I'm actually not old enough to remember this, but the Scopes Trials. And uh, if any of you have ever read the book or have seen a play on Inherit the Wind, that was about the Scopes Trials. And what it was is they were trying to introduce evolution in the schools as a theory. Well, now it's not that evolution is in the schools as a theory. It's in the school as a fact. And that's the only thing you know, that you're able to teach. If you teach creation, you'll get kicked out. But the reality is, I was a science major, but the reality is evolution is not scientific. They present it as science, and it's the most ignorant thing I've ever heard of. Because you've heard me say this before. From basic math, we learn zero plus zero always equals zero. It's only in evolution that zero plus zero equals the universe. You understand how ignorant it is? It makes no sense at all. Nothing ever, you know, something never came from nothing. But there is a preexistent one, God Almighty, who created the universe. And the reason I say this is because I believe that the immorality that we see in the world, and especially in our nation, is because people have forgotten God. And if they don't believe that God is the creator, then they don't believe that they're accountable to him. But we are accountable to him. He is the creator of the universe. Now, um, turn to Exodus. Did I already start this? Chapter, chapter 12, verse 29. I did. Now, um, moving down. If Pharaoh would have believed God, he could have saved two peoples. Do you ever think about that? If he would have believed God right from the beginning, he could have saved the Israelites and said, go to the promised land God's given you. And he could have saved his own people, his own nation. And you have to realize that even when you go back and look at the historical records from the time that, it, that the exodus would have occurred, Egypt never was a world power again. They had power, but they never were a world power again. At the time that the Jews went into Egypt, they were the world power for 460 years. But not any longer after the exodus. And I wonder how many things we do that not only affect ourselves, but affect others. What Pharaoh did affected his own nation, his whole nation. But what about us? What do we do? You know, we think when, when we make a mistake, well, it's just my little mistake. Well, no, it might be just your little mistake, but how did it affect other people? People who observed it, people that know about it. 
And that's the reason it's so important for us to be willing to confess. Because if we confess, people recognize the fact that there's something different about us. We might make mistakes, but other people make mistakes and just cover it up. You know, I remember an example. <clears throat> this is many, many years ago. And uh, I was teaching at that time. I, I don't know how long I'd been saved, just maybe a year or so. And I was teaching at Horseheads High School in Horseheads, New York. I don't know if any of you know where that is. And um, there was this uh, other biology teacher. And when he found out I was saved, I'd walk in... Now, this is going to really blow a lot, of you, uh, a, lot, a lot of your minds, especially young people. Back in those days, we had segregated faculty rooms. We had boy faculty rooms and girl faculty rooms. Can you believe that? The, the men weren't in with the women, and the women weren't in with the men. So anyway, when I used to walk into the faculty room, like, let's say I had a free period or whatever, and I'd walk into the faculty room, this other biology teacher, he'd see me coming in, and he'd go, praise the Lord, <laughs> you know, just mocking me. Well, one day, I wasn't having a really good day, and he walk, I walked in, and he, and he did that. And I know it's hard for you to imagine me doing that, but I grabbed a hold of him by his tie. We wore ties back then. I grabbed a hold of him by his tie. I threw him on the factory room table, and I was jacked. I mean, I was ready. I really was. And then I was so convicted, and I left. And um, I was sitting in my room all by myself. You know, it was a free period. And I'm thinking, you're such an idiot. What a poor witness for the Lord. And I knew what I needed to do. I needed to go down and apologize. I needed to confess my wrongdoing. So I walked into the factory room and I asked this guy, please forgive me, what I did was wrong. Now, his response was not what you would think. And uh, uh, I won't even tell you what his response was because... But anyway... It didn't make any difference what his response was to me. It was what my response to the Lord was. My response was to the, to the Lord was to say, I'm sorry. And I have no idea what ever happened to this fellow after I left Horseheads High School and, and like that. But how do I know? Maybe that had some kind of an effect on him. And that's the reason we have to realize that when... We do things or say certain things. It, isn't just, it doesn't just have an effect on us and even our immediate surrounding. It can go out in waves and have effects on other people. You know, it's just like, um, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, yesterday, we went to Sight and Sounds. By the way, if you haven't been to, to Sight and Sounds to see the new uh, play they do, Jesus, it was so unbelievably awesome. And the reason it was awesome is they did it in just a perfect way. They, you know, it wasn't like a play about Jesus. It was really a play about the Word of God. It was just so well done. But anyway, while we're there, I'm at the front desk of our, of our hotel room, and you know who walked up? Jay Leno. And he was performing there. And he and I had a nice conversation. We, sat, we stood there and talked for quite a while, had a nice conversation. Well, um, actually, Jay Leno's the one who took a picture. He took a picture, a selfie of us together with my camera because I didn't know how to use it. And he, he took a selfie of us together. And then I, I think my precious daughter-in-law or someone posted it on the Internet and said, uh, guess who Pop-Up had breakfast with? Well, I didn't actually have breakfast with him. I just talked with him at the counter for a while, but just talked. And when I came in this morning, 
I think it had gone from breakfast to I went out to dinner with him to uh, we're now best friends and uh, he's going to be in church next week. I mean, I'm exaggerating. But you understand the point I'm making. You do something or say something and you think it's just a little thing, but it can have ripples and go out. I'll give you another example. When I first started substituting uh, years back, and I, I substituted at um, Pine Grove and, and ESM High School, and, you know, it would sometimes come up because I'd bring it up, but it would sometimes come up uh, that I, I went to the same high school as Ernie Davis. And some of you might know, know who Ernie Davis is. Uh, the Elmire Express, uh, you know, he was also called the Syracuse Express. He was uh, the Heisman Trophy winner from Syracuse University. He was the first black to win the Heisman Trophy. And so I used to tell the kids, I went to the same high school as him. As a matter of fact, I had the same high school football coach that he did. You know, Ernie Davis was a, was a, a, a freshman at Syracuse University, and I was a freshman in high school. And I used to see him when we'd work out at Parker Field and like that. Well, it went from I knew Ernie Davis, and we had the same football coach, to I played with Ernie Davis at Syracuse University. That's where the story went. And I was also possible candidate for the Heisman Trophy <laughs> at five foot six, you know, <laughs> maggot, you know. Um, but my point is, you say something. When I'm gonna, any of you know, uh, ever read Emily Dickinson? She's a poet, and she wrote the shortest poem in the world that I love. A word is dead when it is said. Some say. I say it just begins to live that day. Get the point? You say something, and you think, oh, I just said something instead. It just begins to live, and it goes on and on. So that's why it's so important for us to recognize the influence we have on other people and to make sure that we live in such a way that Christ is honored. And understand, you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Here's the difference. When you go up to the, to the people that maybe you flashed out at or, or whatever the mistake might be that you made, and you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and then it's a beautiful thing. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness, the blood of the Lamb. And so we have to have that kind of an attitude. Now, some people have actually talked to me about this and said, why did God allow ten plagues? If he knew that the Egyptians weren't going to believe, that Pharaoh wasn't going to believe, why did he allow all those plagues to take place? Number one, it's because God is love. And how many times has he given us chance after chance after chance after chance? Then finally, there's that one time that you know, the Lord and the Holy Spirit breaks through and you have the victory. So it was partly his love that gave them opportunity after opportunity, but it's also the fact that love requires choice. So he had to give them choice. You know, and you've heard me share this probably 10 or 4,000 times, I'm not sure. Uh, I have a tendency, my son, if he was here, he'd be teasing me because I give the same examples over and over again. But I think it's a valid one. If I went up to my wife and I put my hands around her neck and I said, tell me you love me or you die. And she goes, I love you. Guess what? There's no love expressed there at all. You know what's expressed? Fear. 
But if I just walk in the house and I haven't done anything negative or, or positive, or anything, I just walk in the house and my wife comes up to me and says, I love you. You're the most wonderful man in the world. I'm so glad I met you. You know, which happens all the time, but... Uh, if she did that, that is a pure expression of love. Why? Because there's no fear. She wasn't forced into it. It was simply choice. And so we have to understand God is always giving people choice. But because of his love, he gives them that same choice over and over and over. Because he is so loving. He is so awesome. You know, I, I know maybe it isn't hard for you to believe, but um, when being born again, you know, started becoming, I mean, it was always popular, but in our understanding, started becoming popular, and we started knowing people that were, you know, born again. We used to mock these born-again Christians. You wouldn't believe how fine I used to mock them, make fun of them, and mock them. But you know what? There was always something that was getting in here. There's always something that was getting in here. And then finally we came to a place of realizing, you know what? We're only mocking out of our own stubbornness. We're only mocking out of our own misunderstanding and our own unwillingness because in reality we knew it was true. And then we came to that place many, many years ago where we recognized that Jesus is Lord and committed our hearts and lives to him. And what a blessing it is because not only are Vi and I saved, but our kids are saved that our grandkids are saved. I mean, I, I don't want to embarrass her, but like um, our precious uh, granddaughter, she was with us. Well, all of our grandchildren except for Taylor were with us at a, um, Sight and Sound, but Madison actually was in the same room. Can you imagine being in the same room with Anna Pop up? How gross, you know? But, you know, we had to share all the rooms with all the kids, and Madison was in the same room with us. And what a beautiful thing, um, you know, Thursday night, to have Madison in one bed and Vi and I in the other bed, and we prayed together. We prayed for her daddy's trip. We prayed for the Lord's will and salvation. You know what a blessing that is? You're praying with your grandchildren? And so when we come to the Lord, we've not only had a great effect in, in our own personal lives, but in all those around us. And what a wonderful thing that is. We can't even imagine you know what the horror must have been like for the children of Israel when their firstborn were taken can you imagine to wake up in the night and just have that horror all of your children your firstborn dead and uh, we're told that it was actually, there was actually a loud wailing in Egypt that was never known before there was not a house of those who refused the blood who were without the loss of their firstborn. And um, just amazing, just amazing to me to think that uh, it took that before Pharaoh had any even semblance of understanding. Because we're going to read in a moment that when Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron and all the children of Israel to leave, he said, pray for me. Did you know it? He's, he asked that. We'll read it in a minute. So we're in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 12. Then he called for Moses, this is Pharaoh, and Aaron by night, and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and your children of Israel, 
And if you recall, going through the plagues, first it was just the men, then it was, you know, the, the, well, you had to leave your children, then it was you had to leave your cattle. He was putting all these stipulations on their exodus. But now all stipulations are removed. Both you and your children um, of Israel, and go serve the Lord your God you have said, that you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as uh, you have said, and be gone. Listen to this. And bless me also. Isn't that an odd thing for Pharaoh to throw in there and bless me also? And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, uh, and they asked from their Egypt, from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them whatever they requested. Listen to this. So they plundered the Egyptians. You plunder a defeated foe. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramsey to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened uh, cakes on, uh, of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now, the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is the night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, one of the reasons that they wanted them to leave in haste is Pharaoh and, and the, the, you know, all of his subjects in Egypt, it tells us in this portion, they didn't know who was going to be next. The firstborn died, now maybe the secondborn, maybe the third, maybe the fourth, then maybe mom, maybe dad. It tells us in here, they thought maybe we'd all die. So look, look at how their God is working. Get out of here. So they really pushed the Israelites to leave. I can't even imagine, can you, what it would have been like? I mean, the turmoil. I mean, when, when the firstborn died, they, the wailing went out and Pharaoh got up. And right then, he didn't wait till morning. He said, get out of here. And he, you know, pushed him out. And um, now, understand, the children of Israel didn't leave in haste, as it tells us here, because they were thinking, hey, now's our chance to leave. They were leaving in haste because they were being kicked out. They didn't have time to fully prepare. That's why they left with unleavened bread and so forth. Now, how amazing that in the midst of all this, the Lord allowed the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians. They asked for gold, silver, clothing, and it was given to them. You know why? It was back pay. For 400 years, for 400 years, they'd worked as slaves in Egypt. <clears throat> and now they left with a lot of the goods of Egypt. We know they had a lot of gold and silver. Remember the, the golden calf? They had a lot of gold. I mean, they had a lot when they left. And um, 
One of the things that I think is so interesting here is we read about the 600,000 men leaving Egypt. Well, you've got to put it together. If there were 600,000 men, there were at least 600,000 women, probably more. And even if you only had three children to a family, and they had larger families back then, that's three times more. So when you actually add that together, the number of people that were leaving Egypt were somewhere between 2.5 million to over 3 million. That group would have been 30 miles by 30 miles. That's how large a group was that left Egypt. You know, we've watched, uh, um, you know, the Ten Commandments so many times, and I love it. You know, let my people go. I mean, I can't imitate Charlton Heston's voice like Frank could. But anyway, we've all watched the Ten Commandments, and it's great. But when you watch it, there's probably 300 people leaving. It's hard for us to understand. This would have been a sight to see. Somewhere between 2.5 to over 3 million people getting up and leaving Egypt all at once. I mean, it would have been absolutely amazing. And the thing we have to realize, this is how the Lord worked to save the children of Israel from oppression and from death. And the reality is that the Lord works that way for you and I as well. And I think there are oftentimes many more people that are saved in this world than we know. Um, uh, Most of you know that I... In, on June 22nd, I had a heart attack, and I had stents put in and all that kind of stuff. And so I have to go to this cardiac rehab. And um, anyway, I was uh, doing my workout, and there's this one guy. I can't remember his name, but he's some big architect in the area. He's done a lot of the public buildings down here. And he's taking a shine to me. He <laughs> follows me from station to station talking to me. And we're talking, and I was telling him about us going to Sight and Sounds. And there was this one woman on the other treadmill, and she heard it turn around. She goes, sight and sounds? And I said, yeah. And she goes, are you a believer? And I said, yes. And she goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> you, know, you don't know how many believers are out there. And the fact is that God desires to use us to bring more into the kingdom of God. Because there's an exodus coming in this world that's going to be sooner than we think. It's called the rapture taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be snatched away. Actually, it means to be snatched away violently. And what that means is you're not going to say, well, wait a minute. You know, if you're saved, you're gone. <laughs> you're going to be taken. And it's going to be more than 2.5 to over 3 million people. It's going to be millions and millions of people that are taken out of this world. And when that happens, this whole world's going to change. Because he who restrains the Holy Spirit doesn't say he's taken out of the world, as some people teach. It says he'll no longer restrain. The only reason we don't see all-out evil and anarchy in the whole world is because of the Holy Spirit. But when we're saved, when we're born again, and we're, if we're born again and we're saved, we're going to be taken out of this world in the rapture, and the Holy Spirit is no longer going to restrain, and Satan is going to have his way through he and his antichrist and his false prophet, the unholy trinity. But the good news is this, that even in the midst of all that, Many people will be saved during the tribulation. How do we know that? Because it talks about the believers being beheaded during the tribulation. Anyone who refused the mark of the beast, you know, and the seal of his image, they're going to be beheaded. And so when you get discouraged and say, why doesn't this person get saved? I want them to be saved before the rapture occurs. Well, I want all of my friends and neighbors to be saved before the rapture occurs as well. 
But the reality is many people won't probably be saved until after the rapture. That is going to be the proof that those crazy Christians were right. And many are going to be saved. But the fact is, we're living in that time of expectation. Blessed are those who long. In other words, they're, they're waiting for his appearing to come and to take us out of the world. And so we read about this exodus and how amazing it must have been to see that huge group of people leaving. We're going to be, we're going to be part of a greater exodus. But here's the point. You had to be a child of Israel or the mixed multitude that was also mentioned, that even brings up the number more, that mixed multitude would have been non-Israelites who believed in Yahweh. And that's why they left with the Israelites. And so if there's anyone here, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward and stand on your head or do anything like that. But any, anyone who's here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. And it's not any super magic thing. You don't have to go through classes. You don't have to jump through hoops or ropes. All you have to do in your heart is to say, God, forgive me a sinner. That's it. Make your confession to the Lord. Forgive me, Lord, a sinner. Take over my life. And he will. You'll be born again, as Scripture says, of the Spirit. Your heart and your life will be turned around. And that's one of the things that I can say. I was 30 years old before I came to the Lord. I'm 73 now, so that's 43 years. I was 30 years old when I came to the Lord, and my life has never been the same in a positive way. Hard times, tough times, great times. But the fact is, I was never the same, and I never shall be the same. Something happened. And now, as Frank, my son, often says, we're ruined for this world. We're ruined for this world. So if you're not saved, just bow your head when we're praying and to yourself and to the Lord, just make your confessions and be born again. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and for the fact that there's no special thing we have to do. There's no uh, particular ritual that we have to be part of. All we have to do is is to say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, and come in and take over my life and to know you will. And Lord, even for those of us that are saved, sometimes we go through, through some pretty dark hours and some difficult times. And I pray, Lord, even for we who are believers, that you'd forgive us our sin and trespasses and just come and fill us and cleanse us and encourage us that we might walk more steadfastly before you. So now, Father, we commit our hearts and our lives and and the rest of our life into your hands. And we pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.